California universities are striving to have more and more diversity. Most California university jobs are now requiring diversity statements, and candidates could lose the potential of getting the job if their diversity statement doesn't match what the admission is looking for. Many of the UC schools, they've, they've been doing pilots where they're testing, where the only thing they look at is the diversity statement. If you, you, know, if you don't get a good score on it, you're not gonna get looked at for anything else. But is this the best way to achieve more diversity? That's what they're ultimately requiring, a, a loyalty oath, a pledge of allegiance to ideas of diversity and equity that are you know, not neutral concepts, but highly charged political concepts um, that are being pushed as truth. My guest today is Daniel Ordner, a lawyer with Pacific Legal Foundation. He has been involved with multiple lawsuits surrounding the diversity of thought on college campuses in California. These diversity bureaucrats who don't have a lot of respect for academic freedom, for free speech, for freedom of thought, are really pushing departments to investigate and to discipline professors. Will the push for more diversity, equity, and inclusion make us more diverse, or will it create more division? I'm Siamai Korami, Welcome to California Insider. Thank you so much for having me. We want to talk to you about diversity statements. Uh, one of the things that has become pretty common, in fact, 24 out of 25 jobs for faculty that was yeah. on physics today uh, for junior faculty members needed a diversity statement. What is this diversity statement? So it's requiring faculty to really pledge their allegiance to ideas regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion that are you know, politically toxic, politically divisive ideas regarding race, regarding um, uh, equity. The idea that you, know, you need to treat students differently based on their race, uh, ultimately. To, to, in order to give some students a leg up, you need to treat people differently and divide them based on their race. That, that's the core of this DEI idea. And so you're requiring professors to explain why they ascribe to that idea. Um, and you know, they can't express themselves. If, if they believe otherwise, you know, they're going to be denied an opportunity to, to have a job. But the idea is to show that you are open to people, right? What's a good diversity statement? Is it? The idea to show that you are inclusive, you will treat everybody well. Is yeah, that and, and you know, no one objects to diversity and in inclusion. I think are good, good things and good principles. The problem is that you, know, you have these concepts, concepts especially of equity, where it means treating people differently, ultimately based on their race, uh, dividing people up, uh, stereotyping people based on their group identity. Um, you know, assuming that if someone is white, they're racist. Um, and they need, uh, you know, need to, re to repent of that. And if they're a minority, they are victimized and oppressed um, and need to act based on those, that identity. So it's really grouping people and treating them differently based on their group identity rather than as individuals is at the core of, of this idea of equity. So when you're writing these statements, what do you have to do that will lead to that? You're saying that leads to kind of group. Yeah, I and mean really, part of it. So the the way it's evaluated in in the say the University of California, many of the schools have a rubric, and they look for three things. One, the first one that, that I think is the most potentially dangerous for for free speech and freedom of, of thought is your you have to express your awareness of race 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 issues. And that means you know, explaining why you think society is racist, why at its core you know, there's discrimination and systemic racism. So it's really 
uh, pledging a fealty to those ideas. And really, the, the rubrics uh, that are used um, in UC Davis, UC Berkeley, and UC Santa Cruz expressly say, you know, if someone says something like, I believe everyone should be treated equally and people should not be treated differently based on their, their, their race uh, because dividing people you know, makes, hurts everyone. If you say something like that, you're gonna get a low score on this diversity statement. That's baked into the rubric. So if you, if you say what Chief Justice Roberts of the US Supreme Court said, you know, that the way to stop discriminating on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. You know, something simple like that. If you express the, your a, a belief in color blindness that everyone should be treated equally, you're you're going to get a low score. You're not going to get hired. So when you get a low score, and this has happened in in the UC Berkeley specifically, like they just look at this diversity statement and reject. They rejected over seventy percent of the applicants. Because yeah. So this is the first thing they look at. Yeah. So the, in, in many of the UC schools, they've they've been doing pilots where they're testing where the only thing they look at is the diversity statement. If you you know if you don't get a good score on it, you're not going to get looked at for anything else. And you know that means is you you know you could be a Nobel laureate. You could be, you know, have, a, have a, a, a theory to cure cancer. You know, you could be Albert Einstein. It doesn't matter who you are, what your research is. You're not going to get looked at. You're going to get passed over if you don't have a good diversity statement. And so that I think is really frightening. It means you know that they're not looking for the best quality talent. They're looking for those that are most in line ideologically with the mission with this this mission of, of DEI. You mentioned they. Who's they that's looking at this statement? So in most universities, and especially in the UC system, have a lot of diversity bureaucrats that they've hired. You know, people that their job is to look for uh, ways to enforce ideas of diversity. And so they're looking and they're enforcing this and they're evaluating these statements. Um, on, on these search committees, they're training or handpicking the faculty that sit on the search committees, those that are ideologically committed to DEI uh, principles. And so they're evaluating them and looking for ideological alignment with these ideas. What is the perfect diversity statement for these people? If, if I wanted to get a job at one <laughs> of these universities, what, what would I have to say to get in? I think really it'd be something that's very, you know, strongly acknowledging the, the impact of racism and then explaining all the things you're going to do to uh, single out people uh, based on race, you know, uh, basically to help minority students and, and give them a leg up and uh, focus on, the, on them, and all the ways you're going to do that. So, but I think that really that the first part, this awareness piece is really has to be an acknowledgement of the, the, the impact of racism, uh, of anti-racist principles. Uh, the idea that you know, we, we need to, to ultimately treat people differently in order to combat racism. There was a cartoon in Wall Street Journal where they had like a classroom that had the teacher was a turtle, everybody was a turtle, and they're all scared. They're in their shell. Yeah. And then there's one person that wants to speak up, and then there's this knife from <laughs> DEI, DEI that's about to cut the head of this turtle off. Yeah. Is this how people feel? What are your thoughts on this? I think that's, that's definitely how people feel. You know, talking to professors, they're really scared to speak out right now. I think with good reason. You know, the examples, you know, of, of, there are examples of professors who have had their careers ruined and their, their lives ruined because they've dared to say anything contrary uh, to this DEI uh, mandate. And so anyone who speaks out is going to be targeted. I think that's going to be, you know, the students feel that way too. Surveys that have been taken of students show that overwhelming numbers, uh, you know, 60, 70% of students, I think is the last I saw, don't feel like they can express themselves in, 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 class, in class or on campus. 
Um, so that's really frightening. You, know, you have people not able to express themselves. You know, these ideas are not being debated. Uh, no one's willing to challenge the orthodoxy because they know they're going to get their heads chopped off like that in the cartoon shows. So I think it, it really is. It has a chilling effect on on the uh, willingness of people to speak out, to challenge the orthodoxy, um, and to express themselves. And so I think it is really frightening, and that cartoon captures it really well. <laughs> Didn't they want to do this to actually include everybody? So I thought. I thought sometimes certain people, you know, if, if your parents put you into the SAT classes yeah. and donated to the school, they will get you into the university. And then there are some kids that may not have that, but they work very hard and they want to get in. Didn't they want to achieve this? Didn't they want to give chances to others? Is that how this started? Yeah, I, I think this, I mean, this comes from a, a sense that, you know, the students that are minority at universities can't, can't, can't succeed without uh, additional help uh, to, to uh, excel in universities. Um, so that's kind of the, the basis of it is this idea that, you know, people based on their race need to be treated differently. So it's not treating people like individuals ultimately. And so it's, it's stereotyping based on race. Um, and it, you know, I think you know, what's happened is you have had uh, schools doing affirmative action and other programs, and then students get mismatched and they end up in schools that they, you know, they're, they're not as able to, to succeed in. Um, and then they're harmed and they, you know, they drop out, they don't do well. Um, and then you have to have measures by the university to make up for that uh, by you know, targeting people based on their race and treating them differently. So I think it, it does stem from the, that those failed policies of affirmative action and uh, that, that have really harmed minority students ultimately. Now, uh, this is about hiring. Now, going into the people teaching, how does it look like for a professor today? And do you have any examples of people that have been impacted by these? type of thinking. Yeah, I, mean, I think you see a lot of professors uh, that you know, if they dare to speak out about any topic that's controversial, especially anything to do with race, uh, you know, let's say that they spoke out and critical of the Black Lives Matter movement last year when there were riots and protests and you know, stores being burned down, if they said, you know, this is not good, this is problematic, you know, they, these behaviors are, are problematic, um, they would be investigated. There's a professor that I've spoken to uh, f out um, in Florida, for instance, at UCF, uh, Charles Negi, who, uh, because he's, he made a tweet criticizing um, the, the Black Lives Matter movement and criticizing some of the, the anti-racism efforts, uh, he was um, interrogated for nine hours by uh, bureaucrats at the university. They asked him about every single statement he'd ever made in a classroom for 15 years um, in order to find a reason to fire him. Uh, that's what's going to happen you know, for professors. If they speak out, they're going to become the target. Um, and the, the universities are going to find reasons to uh, penalize them or to fire them if they uh, you know, speak out. And there was a professor in UCLA, was it UCLA, that actually got an email from a student to yeah. uh, that asked, can you explain Yeah, Gor Gordon Klein is a professor at UCLA. Um, he now has a lawsuit against the university, actually, because of how he was treated uh, by uh, UCLA. A, a student, because of the, the, all the protests and the Black Lives Matter movement, was, was, very up, was upset and emailed saying, I, I, I and other, other uh, black students need special accommodations, you know, different exam tr uh, grading, and tr treat us more leniently. And he, uh, Charles, uh, Professor Klein said, no, I will, I will not do that. I'm going to treat all my students fairly and equally and not discriminate based on race. Um, and he said that you know to them, uh, and then because of that, he uh, was you know was investigated again by the university. Uh, he ultimately was denied a, mer a merits increase, a you know, pay increase by the university uh, because of that, and because also he, um, in his diversity statement, uh, refused to pledge allegiance to ideas of, of equity and diversity. So he was you know for those two things really the combination of those denied a raise 
uh, by the university uh, because he was not willing to treat students differently based on their skin color. And now as a professor, are these professors, do they have to be very afraid of what they're saying and thinking and doing? And what I about the students? I think professors now more and more are, are afraid and for, for good reason. Uh, you know, per tenure used to be a, a protection that said you, you can think freely, you can you know, research and, and publish ideas that are controversial, that are difficult, that challenge the, the status quo, and you're not going to get fired, you're going to be protected. But that's been undermined, I think, by uh, universities, uh, these diversity you know, bureaucrats who don't have a lot of respect for academic freedom, for free speech, for freedom of thought thought um, are really pushing you departments to, to investigate and to discipline professors. And you know, even if you don't lose your job, there's a lot they can do to undermine you. Uh, we are representing a professor um, at San Jose State University, Elizabeth Weiss, who is an anthropology professor. And because of her speech uh, that she spoke, she uh, criticizes a repatriation of remains to Native American uh, tribes. And because of her speech, she's now been barred from the research laboratory. She's not able to access remains. Uh, her research ability, you know, ability to do research has been crippled uh, because of that. And there have been other actions taken against her. You know, short, she's not fired. She still has a job. But everything that she uh, does for her research and for her duties as a curator have been undermined and taken away from her. And so that's the power that these universities have if you speak out. And if you say something controversial or unpopular, there's a lot they can do to undermine you. And so I think a lot of professors are, are scared that for good reason. Um, and students are as well. You know, students don't feel like they can speak out if they hold different views. Um, they are going to be get, get low grades. Uh, you know, conservative groups are often targeted uh, for uh, you know their ads are taken down if they're trying to advertise for their clubs on campus. It's widespread. You know, if, if they're uh, they're trying to have a presence, they're being targeted um, and silenced ultimately. Now, what's the value of saying something controversial as a professor? What if it hurts other people? Is there any value? In I think there's a, lo a lot of value to free, free thought, freedom of speech. That's how ideas uh, are, are challenged and developed. You know, ideas that were uh, you know, seen as the, 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 the truth 100 years ago, 150 years ago, have now been shown to be wrong or false. Uh, the best example, I think, was you know, in, during the South, uh, in pre-Civil War, uh, during slavery, uh, you know, abolitionists were jailed. Their speech was illegal. You know, they couldn't, in a newspaper, criticize slavery. Uh, as an example, that was you know, an extreme example of speech being suppressed. You know, free speech is powerful. Free speech, expression of ideas, changes the world. That's what happened with abolitionist views, you know, really challenging slavery, pointing out the evils of slavery. That's what's happened during the civil rights movement, uh, with the pro-life movement in America. And a lot of movements, you use the power of speech to show, uh, the power, you know, show, show that, that the status quo is wrong. Um, and so speech is powerful and needs to be protected even when it's controversial. And I think especially when it's controversial because that's the ideas that most need to be expressed. Ideas that are maybe off-putting, maybe upsetting to the norms. Those are the ideas that most need protection. And that's what the First Amendment is there to protect ultimately. When these universities are trying to hire these people based on these statements, I was thinking about this and wouldn't it bring people on board that are all the same because they have to, you know, I would, only accept you if you write your statement in this yeah. way. And then all of the other people that we accepted is going to be the same. So are we not going to have any diversity? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the diversity of thought, you know, is really what, what's missing at universities. Already, it's, you know, if you look at faculty, they're overwhelmingly uh, progressive in their views. You know, it's very rare to have conservative or libertarian-leaning faculty. 
uh, even today. And I think it's going to get even worse as these ideas become more common. Um, because now it's, you know, if, if you're not, uh, you're going to be seen as not, not, not valuing equity and diversity and, you know, and, and someone who's a, r a racist and a bigot. So you're not, not going to be given a chance. Uh, so I think it's, it's a real problem. And, you know, students also suffer from this because they're going to not hear different ideas. They're not going to be challenged. They're not going to have their, their ideas, uh, you know, uh, challenged in the classroom or anywhere else on campus. It's going to be an, an echo chamber. So we might look more diverse. Are they, are they actually paying attention to the races? Okay, we need this many Chinese, this many Indians, this many blacks, Hispanic. Yeah. Are, are we gonna look, are they gonna look more diverse, but at the core, people are gonna think the same way? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in California, we have Proposition 209, the, the California voters said, we don't want uh, any you know, race to play any role in hiring for universities in California. And this, these diversity statements are, un, are a way to undermine that. And you know, the, the California voters just this last election uh, over, you know, uh, affirmed again that they, want, they do not want race to play a role. But these statements allow the faculty members, the applicants, to talk about their own experience with race, uh, you know, express, talk about their own race. And so it's a, a back door way for race uh, to be re-entered, re-enter into the, de the decision-making process, undermining Prop 209 in California. People are getting rejected based on these statements. So it, it seems like the people who are going to be hiring are not going to be the based on their skills level. So we might end up with having less skills and less diversity. Is that yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the skills, you know, there are a lot of skilled applicants. So, you know, the, you're going to get good, good people, you know, people that are academically skilled, but they're going to be all thinking one way. That's, I think, the real problem is the group think that's going to happen. Um, and that's going to really just, you know, get, you know, destroy academic freedom and destroy freedom of thought on campuses. And this is now happening even at all, all levels in California. I mean, the, uh, you, the California community colleges, their chancellor recently enacted uh, a rule requiring every university in the um, California community college system to evaluate faculty based on how well they are promoting um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism uh, in their teaching, in their methodology, in their, their, you know, the materials they teach with, how well they're embedding those principles into their classroom. And so this is going to be everywhere in the state of California, you know, every university from you know, the UC schools down to the community colleges, uh, faculty are going to be evaluated based on how well they're uh, pledging, you know, uh, teaching these ideas, indoctrinating students based on these ideas. So how much freedom do they have? You mentioned anti-racism, so different people may have a different approach of dealing with teaching anti-racism. Yeah. Is this a one way you have to follow certain code to do it or is this more open? I think it's going to be um, every university is going to probably apply it somewhat differently. Some are going to be a little more open and some are going to be very uh, you know, doctrinaire in what they're doing. But I think uh, one troubling uh, indicator is that the, um, the UC system, uh, sorry, the, sorry, the California Community College system put out a, a, a curriculum, uh, you know, suggested kind of ideas for, this, the, for teaching these principles. And on there they had things like you know, the, the uh, opposing I Eurocentric individualism and requiring professors to embrace collectivist uh, collectivism and collective thinking um, instead of individual thought. And so I think ideas like the idea of free speech, the idea of different, you know, debating differences, uh, those ideas are part of what's on the chopping block ultimately. The, you know, the, just the idea of ex expressing the idea that we should dif differ and you know, disagree with each other civilly and hear different opinions, that idea is going to be seen as, as racist and 
and intolerant and bigoted and, and violent towards minority students. And so I think there's going to be a real effort to crack down on ideas that are seen as racist and bigoted and hateful. Do you think people are going to categorize different races? Like if, if I'm Iranian, I'm categorizing the Iranian bucket. If somebody's black, they're categorizing the black bucket. Are people going to think about race too much? Yeah, I, I think I think they're thinking about it too much, and and also, but also, you know, you mentioned you're Iranian. You know, you're going to be. Gr I mean, it, there's stereotyping going on there too, where all Asians are treated the same. You know, as this one bucket of Asians. You know, people that could be from very diverse countries. Someone from China, some from Japan, someone from Laos or Cambodia have very different life experiences. You know, first generation families and people that have been in the U.S. for hundreds of years are very different, uh, based on wealth, based on uh, background, based on religion, based on ideas. People are different. You know, race is a crude uh, bucket to put people in, and they're stereotyping people based on race. You know, assuming that if you are a certain race, you have to think a certain way, you have to act a certain way, you have to have certain experiences. And so it's again denying individuals in you know, treatment as individuals, and instead treating them differently based on their skin color and their race. So that makes us less diverse, right? Is that we're going to have to think all in a box? Yeah. I think it's you know it's diversity in the the shallowest way of your do you, you know, people looking differently like skin color, but in terms of actually diversity of thought, diversity of experience, diversity of background, diversity of viewpoint, those things are going to be undermined as you're you're focusing only on skin color and only on group identity as opposed to um, individuals and individual ideas. Some people argue that this diversity statement might not be perfect, but it's actually a, a step towards helping the minorities because there's a, there's a big gap. I think it doesn't ultimately help minorities. I think is it, it stereotypes them, it treats them as victims. Um, it, you know, so it really harms them in many ways. And I think it, you know, everyone benefits from freedom of thought, you know, a diverse environment of, of ideas. People, you know, the, the minority students need that just as much as anyone else, an environment where they can have ideas expressed and challenged. I think treating everyone as individuals uh, you know, cherishing, uh, you know, encouraging opportunity, encouraging entrepreneurship, encouraging development and you know, growth is the answer, uh, not uh, treating people differently and victim as victims based on their, their skin color. You mentioned victims. H how do they treat minorities as victim and what's the impact of it? I think that, I mean, the idea is, you know, if you're a minority, you're, you are a victim of, of racism, you are a victim of a system that's oppressive. And, you know, the only way around that is through changing society or changing the ideas of, of society, ideals of society and, you know, and, and treating people differently based on their race and, and skin color. And so I think that that demeans everyone. It, it undermines the core values of this country of, of equality for everyone, regardless of their, what they look like, regardless of their skin color. That's the idea um, of the 14th Amendment. You know, the Civil War was fought uh, for that idea that everyone uh, deserves to be treated equally. Um, and so I think you're really undermining that and demeaning everyone when you do so. One of the things about this country, we are pretty successful around the globe because we have all these people come from different parts of the world, different backgrounds, yeah. and everybody contributes. And we have a pretty diverse background. Aren't they trying to achieve this through this diversity? I think you, you, that is one of the greatest things about America is that we are a place of, diverse, of diversity of people from all over the world come here and they have a chance as individuals. You know, they're treated as individuals. They're given opportunity. You know, and so the way I think to help every people of all races is to re you know, increase opportunity, 
reduce barriers that block people from opportunity, uh, barriers to start a business, to uh, make a living. Uh, those barriers are really the most important thing to, to knock down. But I think you know, you, assuming people are a certain way or think a certain way or act a certain way because of their race and their skin color is the problem. That is you know, group, the you know, treating people a certain way based on their, their race uh, is, is racist ultimately. And that's not the American way. Uh, we allow everyone a chance to come here, to flourish, to have opportunity. And you have, you have different ideas, different backgrounds, different perspectives, and that enriches the country, that makes the country better. But it, it, it's not uh, stereotyping and treating people differently based on their skin color. Uh, assuming that everyone who's, who's Asian thinks a certain way, that everyone who's black thinks a certain way, that everyone who's white is a certain way. That kind of stereotyping, that kind of group, group think is contrary to the ideals of this country. Now, do you think the people that are pushing these ideas, do you think they are realizing that this might not achieve what they're looking for? I, I think, I mean, I think that there, a lot of them are true, true believers in what they're doing. They really think that this is the only way to help minority students, um, that, you know, that racism is so widespread in society that the only way to solve it is to employ what I would call racist, racist tactics, racist ideas. To and reverse it. Yeah, you know. that that's the only way to solve it, you know, is to, uh, you know, to, to discriminate against white people and against people uh, who are not, who are, uh, uh, you know, sorry, people that are of the majority. Assume yeah, privilege. Yes, yeah. Right, assume they have privilege and you have to discriminate against them because they have privilege. Um, you know, so the idea is, you know, you can't be racist if you're not, if you're a white person, or sorry, you, if you're a white person, you are racist. If you're not white, you can't be racist towards a white person because of their privilege. That's now really a common idea. Now, are these ideas, um, you guys are doing, working on a few lawsuits, right? Can you tell us more about your work? Sure. Right now, there's no no lack of work to do with this this topic of race and racism and diversity. Uh, you know, with, with diversity statements, the hard part is finding any finding someone who's been denied a spot because they they keep it very secret. You know, they don't talk about how they're rejecting people based on these ideas. But I think now that it's, especially when it's spreading in the community colleges, there are a lot of faculty that are going to stand up and say, no, enough is enough, um, you know, that are, that are tired of being told to put these ideas in front of the needs of their students. Um, so we've been talking to a lot of faculty uh, that are really tired, f uh, frustrated, fed up uh, with the diversity mandates that they're being given. And I think you're going to see a lot of people fight back against this. And you mean fighting back against this? Is it through lawsuits? And do they have a case? Do they have a? Is it constitutional? What kind of a? Yeah, I, I think there's a good. I mean, I think there there will be lawsuits. I hope we we will hopefully be bring some. Uh, there will be others bringing lawsuits. I think there's going to be a lot of lawsuits. I think out of these these mandates because people are being coerced into thinking a certain way, expressing a certain viewpoint, and that is unconstitutional. You know, the First Amendment guarantees uh, freedom of speech. Um, the government cannot compel you to speak and to think a certain way. Uh, you know, in the 1950s, uh, universities across the country and in California in particular used loyalty oaths where you had to say you're, you, you do not support communism and communist ideas. And uh, that was struck down by courts across the country and by the U.S. Supreme Court, by the California Supreme Court. They made very clear that diversity of thought, uh, you can't require everyone to think the same way to get a job at a public university. Um, so I think that you're going to have a, a lot of people pushing back because that's what they're ultimately requiring, a, a loyalty oath, a pledge of allegiance to ideas of diversity and equity that are you know, not uh, neutral concepts, but highly charged political concepts um, that are being pushed as truth. Uh, and you know, if you don't agree to with them, if you don't sign on, 
you're not going to be hired, I think there are going to be a lot of people pushing back against that in, in court and um, in the court of public opinion as well. Now, you mentioned the public positions. This is, there's actually a push in the private sector as well. So we, from some numbers, we got about 20% of people that apply for corporate jobs. They had to yeah. write diversity statements. Do you think this is applicable to the public, to the private positions as well? I think uh, there are, you know, civil, I mean, civil rights law bans, bans discrimination based on race. Uh, you know, Title VII, I think in particular, you know, it, one thing you're seeing in, in corporate environments, in, in, in workplaces, is you have a lot of uh, diversity trainings that, are, that can be very divisive. Uh, you, you divide people based on, into affinity groups based on their race. You might treat people differently based on their skin color. And I think that, that's going to be a recipe for, for a lot of lawsuits, a lot of Title VII lawsuits. Uh, we see that with public employers. Uh, I've been lo looking very closely at the city of, Se of Seattle in Washington, where they have one of the most aggressive diversity um, and equity training programs, where you know faculty are told, uh, for instance, things like, uh, if you're white, you should you know, not speak out, not not express yourself. Wow. You should. You know, uh, we talk to employees who've been told, uh, don't apply for a promotion because if you do, you're going to hold back another employee from a minority employee from from taking that spot. Don't use uh, your um, disability leave time medical leave time because if you, if you do you're holding back a minority your minority uh, co-worker from uh, getting a leadership position uh, those ideas are being taught uh, in the workplace and I think that's going to lead to lawsuits that's going to lead to employees saying I was discriminated against uh, these ideas have consequences it's not just a neutral concept you know when you teach people that white, everyone who's white is racist and bigoted um, and you know and needs to uh, and, and needs to uh, you know, repent and, and change themselves and everyone who's a minority is is a victim that has consequences for the you know interactions in the workplace for the way you you know, you know teachers interact with students professors interacting with their, their students as well that's going to have consequences so people are going to think of that all the time in any interaction right is that how it's going to be yeah, I mean, every, you know, if, if you're a white employee and you speak out, your ideas are going to be dismissed. You know, told you know, you you are not able to speak on this on this. You know, you are uh, need to be silent to let someone else talk. So, Daniel, what's the fix to this in California and outside of California? Yeah, there are going to be law need to be lawsuits, need to be legal challenges. I think, but I think what we also need is p people in California to stand up and say, "Enough! I'm tired of this dividing people based on race." They, the voters did that with Prop 209. They did it again when they rejected Prop 16 just this last election when they you know, rejected the, the call to reintroduce race um, into hiring and into decisions, public contracting. They said, no, we refuse to do that. So I think you need voters to stand up to say to their legislators, no, I refuse, you know, I do not support uh, dividing people based on race. I do not support indoctrination. I think you see that with teacher, with uh, parents in school boards now. You, know, you saw a lot of parents speaking out in the, at the school level against this indoctrination. So I think you need more of that. You need more Californians to stand up and say, enough is enough. This does not really represent me. These, these are not my, my the values we stand for as Americans, as Californians. You know, we stand for equality for all. We stand for treating everyone equally, regardless of their skin color. Uh, that, those are the ideas that the country was, bi was built on that we need to fight for. And so I want to see a lot more parents and citizens generally standing up and speaking out against this pushing back um, you know, in every way that they can in the courtroom, at the ballot box, everywhere that they can, pushing back against these really insidious, really un-American ideas. Daniel Ordner, lawyer with Pacific Legal Foundation. It was great to have you on California Insider. Thanks so much. Really a pleasure.